You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. What does it mean to put our hope in a God we can't see? What does it mean to walk the walk of faith? This is our sermon series, Water and Blood, Finding Rest in Jesus, Our High Priest. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, if you're a first-time guest, welcome. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. We are delighted that you would join us, and we pray that a song was sung, a word was spoken or will be spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. So welcome. Uh, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to dive into your word, to see what you have to say for your people. Holy Spirit, I pray uh, that you would just breathe on this gathering, allow your imprint to be made in the hearts of your people, and for those who do not know you, to come to see you more clearly, see you as the risen Savior of the world. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Speak, Lord. And we desperately need you to speak, Lord. For your servants are listening. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, inside of my wife and I's closet, there is a box 
And inside that box are letters and pictures. And those letters and pictures are from when my wife and I were dating. Now, we dated long distance for over three years. My Lord, somebody said. Now, when I say that, that's the only response we got. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Man, we really enjoyed dating long distance. It was a a time in which while she was finishing up college, I was here. We knew that the Lord had brought us together, so that was settled. But we felt like it was a time where we could genuinely work on ourselves, learn, um, do what we need to do, and stay connected. And one of the ways that we stay connected was writing letters. And some of you guys heard this. We would write letters back and forth to each other, and we just enjoyed the process getting and receiving those letters. Heart would start beating as I got to the mailbox and opened that letter, and I would just find wherever I could just to sit to read those letters. And then I would, with all my chicken scratch, try to do my best to write a, a, a legible letter back to her, and she would do the same. It was a sweet time. It was a beautiful time. But as we were writing and as we were doing that, we knew that we were working towards marriage. We knew that that wasn't the end itself. It was pointing us toward a future reality. We were shaping our relationship together so that one day we could be face to face, married and in the same city. Now, I want y'all to imagine I want you to use your sanctified imagination. My wife and I are having a regular day. I come home one day and I tell her, I say, sweetie, um, man, I was in that box. I was looking at those old pictures. (laughs) I was reading those letters. And I have decided to move to Michigan to leave you here in Louisville with the kids because I want to go back to writing letters. (laughs) I miss those times. I want to go back to writing those letters. I want to go back to to taking pictures and just sending it to each other, to seeing you two to three times a year. This is what I want to do. And my wife would probably first put her head on my forehead to see if I got a fever. (laughs) Second, she would probably say some words that she might have to repent of later. (laughs) Um, But third, she would say, you're telling me that you want to go back to something that was done to point us towards this, where we are now, you want to trade all of this for that box. And of course, that would be absurd. And a conversation with the pastors and friends would take place in which some bad things could happen, right? (laughs) Well, the preacher here in Hebrews chapter 10 has been pastorally penning this letter, writing to his congregation Because essentially they are looking back towards the law and towards the Old Testament sacrificial system, something that could not save them, something that was not meant to be permanent. And they're looking back and saying, we want to go back to that. We want to go back to the way that it was rather than trusting in a new covenant and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And essentially this preacher is writing and he's using every ounce of his ability, his intellect. He's pulling at their heart. He is warning them. He is pointing them back to the Old Testament, pointing them back to the law, pointing them back to the Psalms to show them that greater has come. Jesus has come. It is absurd to go back to the Old Testament way 
the sacrificial system. And the preacher's saying, y'all want to trade all of this that you have with Jesus for that? It's absurd. And so today we're going to continue this theme that the writer of Hebrews, the preacher, is putting before his church, his congregation, that Jesus is better by looking at how Jesus' perfect sacrifice is better than the old covenant. And how as a result of his perfect sacrifice, we can come before the the throne of God's grace with boldness and assurance, knowing that Jesus has paid for our sin and he is able to keep us and to make us holy. And so as we continue to chop it up and walk through these texts, this is my main point. My main point is to trust in Jesus' perfect sacrifice for forgiveness of sins, and for sanctification. And as we look at that, we're going to look at three kind of things that this text is getting to the heart of, which essentially is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first is this, sin must be dealt with. Sin must be dealt with. And the old covenant, the sacrificial system, did not deal completely with sin. The second is, is that Jesus came and he decisively dealt with sin. And the third is is that the Holy Spirit testifies to this reality. Sin must be dealt with. Jesus came to decisively deal with sin. And the third is that the Holy Spirit testifies to this reality. In the first four verses, um, this is uh, what the, the preacher is preaching to his congregation once again. And the reason that he's preaching this message and he's really drilling it home is because his congregation is discouraged and they're looking back. They're looking back and they're falling into the ways of the children of Israel in the wilderness as they were looking back rather than looking forward and standing on the promises of God. And the reason that they're looking back is because they are discouraged. And oftentimes we can be tempted too to look away from God's word and to look back due to discouragement. In fact, it's all in the air right now culturally, and I see it impacting Christians in a profound way where things are happening culturally. There's so many messages. There's so many things that are tearing at our faith, and some of us are super discouraged. Maybe as we look at the church and we look at other Christians and we read the news, and Lord forbid you go to Twitter and you just scroll up and down. And it's just all these messages. Everybody's trying to be prophetic. Everybody's trying to be profound. Everybody's got a hot take. And then we can take and get off of that uh, social media and think that that is reality and start to reframe our relationship with God because we see the worst of people, because God did not create us to be omniscient, to see and hear everybody's thoughts and everybody's opinions. And during times of discouragement, our knees can get weak, our hands can get weak, and we can find ourselves looking and saying, Lord, is this even real? Are you true? Do you love me? And we can find ourselves twisted in a knot. I was there when I was in college. I believe I walked faithfully with the Lord for eight years, saw my friends come to faith, got to lead some of them to faith and baptize them by God's grace and was, was sold out watching my parents and went away to college and experienced loss and experienced deep discouragement and started looking for another way to explain reality. And by the grace of God, the Lord, he held on to me. And through a, a preacher and a, a church and hearing the word of God faithfully preach week in and week out, my faith became strengthened. So Paul says in the book of Romans, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. 
That's what the writer of Hebrews is going to say in the next chapter, in the next section of this chapter. Like, hey, you should not neglect to gather together with other believers to have your faith stirred regularly. And some of us, we are holding on by a thread and we are really finding ourselves in a spiritual drought because of doubt, because we are not holding on steadfastly to the means of grace. And we are allowing that slithering serpent, Satan, to deceive us and to have us to start looking back and to look around rather than looking into God's word. So the first thing we want to see in God's word today is that sin must be dealt with. It must be dealt with. And this is the message of of the Bible. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam and Eve sin, that God has warned them and told them that if they depart from his words and if if they sin, that death will enter into the world, that they will surely die. They will surely die. Why? Because God is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. Everything that he says is true and beautiful. And if we break his law, his commands, what he has said, then we sin against a holy and a perfect God. And because he is holy and because he is perfect, he cannot embrace iniquity. He cannot embrace one who is without sin. If he does, he will cease to be perfect. He will cease to be holy. He can't just let it slide. And so where there is sin, we see in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sins, a a sacrifice is made. We see uh, that they are covered with animal skin because sin disrupts our relationship with God vertically. It disrupts our relationship with each other horizontally, but it also impacts the cosmos, the world. And as a result of the fall of Adam, the whole world, the whole cosmos is groaning. It is impacted by sin. Our relationships with each other is impacted by sin. Our relationship with God is impacted by sin. Some of us in today's culture, we hear this message and and we, some of us are perhaps here thinking that, man, sin is not really a a big deal if if you make a mistake. Um, if, 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 you, if you sin, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a, a boo-boo. It's a oops. And we think that, hey, if you believe there's a God, perhaps the message that you're telling yourself is as long as you do enough good that your sin or your oops, your boo-boos can be erased. And others of us, we think that, hey, if someone sins and, and someone falls short, Um, then maybe they should be canceled if they commit a certain sin and there's no hope for them. Everyone should shun them for the rest of their life. Well, the Bible teaches us something different. Sin is more than an oops. It's more than a boo-boo. When sin is committed, something, someone has to die. It is serious. But the Bible also teaches us that God has made a way for everyone and anyone who sins to have a relationship with him and that he will never if you place your faith and trust in his provision, cancel you. And this is what we see in the old covenant in the law. Verse one, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not 
the reality of itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continue to offer year by year. So he's saying, look, God provided a way in which sin can be dealt with. And it in the Old Testament was the sacrificial system, but it was not perfect. It was a shadow and it could not perfect those who were making these sacrifices conscience. It could not pay for their sin. Why? Because it pointed forward to a future reality. It was a placeholder. It was a shadow. And notice the gravity in which he's trying to make this point. A shadow of good things to come, not a reality itself. It can never continually offer year by year, year after year. Verse 3, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It was not the end. But God put this system, this bloody system, this messy system where blood was everywhere in the priest's nails, on people's bodies, on their robes, the stench of these sacrifices. He made it to make a point that sin is messy. It must be dealt with. A holy God cannot just let it go. Second point, Jesus came and he decisively dealt with sin. Verse 5. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. Oh, I think this verse is absolutely amazing. I think what we're reading right here is profound. The writer in Hebrews is actually going to take us back to Psalm 40, and he is going to interpret Psalm 40 in light of Jesus. In Psalm 40, it's a psalm of lament, of thanksgiving and lament that David writes. The first five, five verses is thanksgiving, all about how the Lord has delivered him. Verses 11 through 17 is David lamenting and crying out for help. Lord, would you please help me and deliver me from my enemies? Verses 6 through 8 in Psalm 40 is David essentially pouring out his heart to God saying, listen, I know that what you're after is not the blood of goats and bulls, but it is a a heart that is submitted to you wanting to do your will. Well, the author of Hebrews, as he's looking back at scriptures and he he knows Jesus's way as Jesus defeated death and rose from the dead, the Bible says that he spent 40 days with his disciples, Luke chapter 40, and he taught them how to read the scripture in light of him, how all of scripture points back to him. And so the psalmist, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews, as he is reading this, he is Reading Psalm 40 in light of Christ. He is seeing David as a a type of Christ. He's imperfect. Jesus is perfect. And he's looking at David's words and he's saying, this relates to Jesus. And what is profound about this is he opens up, metaphorically speaking, the, the halls of eternity. And he gives us a... A, a glimpse into a conversation that took place between Jesus, the eternal uh, God, and, and, and God the Father. And he says, listen, as David was writing these words under the superintendent power of the Holy Spirit, he was writing and recording a conversation that Jesus was having with God the Father. You did not, verse 5, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. 
Jesus, as he was preparing for his incarnation, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, Jesus is the Son of God, the final word of salvation as God's uh, divine Son. He came into the world, put on human flesh, received a body for, from the Father to pay for our sins. That is profound. He says, you prepared a body for me because you did not delight in these offerings that we're giving. I love what it says. See, it is written about me in a scroll. I have come to do your will. Throughout the Old Testament, we have this picture of the suffering servant who will come and who will do the will of the Father. For example, I encourage you to read Isaiah 53, an incredible chapter that is pointing forward to a suffering servant who will take on the sins of God's people. But verse 5, it says, but he, speaking of Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were or are healed. Jesus came into the world to do the will of the Father, which was to pay for the sins of his people, to, to allow his body to be broken so that those who place their faith in him can be forgiven of their past, present, and future sins and restored into a right, right relationship with God the Father. And this was Jesus' mission. You see it throughout the Gospels that the God of this universe puts on human flesh, becomes a, a man. He enters into our suffering. And as he is anointed by the Holy Spirit and baptized and God shouts from heaven, this is my Beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, he is driven into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And because of his love for the Father and because of his commitment to you and his love for you, nothing could stop him from doing the will of the Father. As Satan was tempting him in the wilderness, he was steadfast and faithful to the Father's will. As religious leaders was mocking him and trying to trip him up and, and, and trying to, to get him to, 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 to give up, he was faithful to the Father's will. As his own disciple Judas betrayed him, he was faithful to his Father's will. As he was taken captive and spit on and beat, he was faithful to his Father's will. As he was whipped with a cat of nine whip, 40 times he was faithful to his father's will. As they put a crown of thorns upon his head, he was faithful to his father's will. As they broke his back and blood came pouring out, he was faithful to his father's will. As he went up the Via Della Rosa, that road of sorrow, he was faithful to his father's will. On the cross, he was faithful to his father's will. Put in a borrowed tomb, faithful to his father's will. Got up on the third day with all power, faithful to his father's will. Ascended into the heavenly places, faithful to his father's will. All because he loved you and me. And he was a gift to us to get off this merry-go-round of, of sacrifices that could not give us the forgiveness of sin. And so he looks at this text with Christology from a Christocentric perspective, and he is shepherding his congregation. He's saying this was written about Jesus. This was recorded in the Old Testament. God does not desire or delight in sacrifices or offerings or whole burnt offerings or sin offerings. 
that Jesus came to do his father's will. And in doing so, he established a second will that replaced the first will, a second covenant, a new and better covenant that replaced the first covenant. And in doing so, he sanctified us through his body once and for all. And that's why John the Baptist, when he saw him pull up in the wilderness, was like, yo, this is a son of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. This is the true temple of God. This is the one that we've been waiting for. All that you're doing in the temple points towards this man, this Messiah. And all the long, as Jesus is set his eyes on the cross for the joy set before him, he healed and showed us what justice and life with God looks like. But he was steadfastly fixed on being the perfect sacrifice for me and you. Verse 11, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices. And I just read this with my own, you know, feelings of interpretation. I, I mean, he says the word continual over and over, year after year, over and over. And I'm just reading it this week. I'm like, in his voice, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sin. But this man, <laughs> but this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, he did something. What did he do? He sat down. And what is the author of Hebrews doing here? He is distinguishing between the high priests of that day who were constantly working in first the tabernacle and then the temple to Jesus, who on the cross yelled, Testelestai, it is finished the veil was torn in two. When he ascended unto heaven, he went into the presence of God. He sat on the right hand side of God on a throne that is known and called as the throne of grace. And he is no longer working. His sacrifice paid for our past, present, and future sins once and for all. His blood was so pure. It was so holy. It was so perfect that all it took was one sacrifice to cover all of your sin, all of my sin. And I don't know about you. You can sit and be so sanctified and put together this morning, but I know that it must have took perfect blood to redeem me because your boy was out here wilding. When I got discouraged and, and, and I lost my footing, <laughs> uh, I was a hot mess. And I'm not going to speak past tense. <laughs> All right. Present tense. It took the perfect sacrifice of a perfect savior to cover my mess and my sin. And can't no bull of goat do that. I don't care how many you offer. But Jesus kept himself. One of the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and the religious leaders was trying him. He was like, man, I could, I could call down legions of angels right now and tear y'all butts up. But I'll be outside of the will of the Father. And I know Jamal, 2,000 years from now, is going to need some blood to cover his sin. Amen. <laughs> and he remained faithful. He sat down at the right hand of God, which is a position of power and authority 
And here he's looking back to Psalm 110. Look at what it says. And he is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. What is Jesus doing right now? He's seated on the right hand of God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. As our great high priest, he's interceding for you and for me. And he is waiting. What is he waiting? He's waiting for that final call from God the Father to say it is time for you to crack open the heavens and to return to make all things right, to put your enemies under your feet. Pointing us back to Genesis chapter 3, how one day the head of a serpent will be crushed by one born of a woman and he will only crush the heel of his feet. He is waiting to to defeat evil. He is waiting to to wipe away the effects of sin in our our lives completely as well as in the cosmos. He is waiting to, to finally wipe away every tear. He is waiting until we can be freed not only from sin but from cancer and from suffering. He is waiting to make all things right. And look, while he's waiting, he's not worried. He's not on Instagram and Twitter getting depressed or down or feeling defeated. D-Day has already come. V-Day is coming. And how did this happen? It happened by his once and for all offering of sin. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. One offering. And I love this term perfected. This is speaking positionally that we have through the sacrifice of Jesus by faith been made whole. Our sins no longer stand against us. Every day, every moment of the day, We are met with new grace and new mercy in Christ. We are forgiven of our sins. We are God's beloved. It speaks of, Paul would speak of it in the terms of being justified. We are justified by faith. But I love this tension in this verse. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified or those who are being sanctified. While Jesus' sacrifice has made us perfect in the eyes of God, in Christ Jesus, it also gives us hope that we are being made to look like Jesus. And it also reminds us that that we, even though we positionally in Christ are perfect before God the Father, in reality, as we experience sin and suffering on this life, that God is doing a work in us. He is sanctifying us. So the author here is comparing the old covenant sacrificial system to, to what we have in Christ. And he's saying Jesus' sacrifice is so much better than the Old Testament system of sacrifice. Why in the world would you go back to that? You've got all this over here. You've got forgiveness of sin. Why would you go back to that? I love how he says that for by one offering, he has perfected forever. I'm not sure how many of you ever saw the movie Sandlot in the 90s. I remember going with my baseball team. It's a baseball movie. It's a, it's a, it's a really good movie. 
Um, and the whole thing with Sandlot, right, is a group of boys, they're playing baseball, they hit, they hit home runs over the fence, and there's this myth, this legend that's built that once a ball is over there, you can never go get there because there's this big dog and this neighbor, and this dog will, will kill you if you jump the fence to go get your, your, this, this ball. And so a kid hits a ball that's signed by baby Ruth, Babe Ruth, right? He doesn't play baseball. It's his father's ball. And he wants to go get the ball. And all the neighborhood kids, they're like, no, don't go get the ball. And there's a scene where they're in a, a tree house and they're trying to spook the kid to keep him from going over the fence. And he, one of the kids has a flashlight and he's telling the legends of kids that tried to go over the fence to get the ball, right? Y'all, y'all know where I'm going with this. And he looks at him, he says, whoever goes over their fence, that ball is gone forever forever, right? And he just gets more dramatic, forever. And the kid is freaked out, like forever. You have no hope of going to get that ball because it's gone forever. And he says that to make the kid afraid. But the truth of the matter is this text is just simply telling us as those who are in Christ Jesus, when we place our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ, that our sin is gone forever that we are made perfect in Christ Jesus. Our past, present, and future sin is no longer held against us. In fact, the text says that God remembers it no more. Now, this is an anthropomorphic term, a term where the human author is giving God uh, kind of these human-like abilities and say, hey, God has forgotten. He does not remember your sins no more. Now, we know that it is impossible for God to not remember something because he's omniscient. He's God. But what he's saying is God will not use it. He will not go back into the past to grab something that you did and to use it to condemn you because Jesus took care of it. Jesus came and he decisively dealt with sin. And lastly, the Holy Spirit testifies to this reality. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, about what? About all that has just been said, but specifically about what Jeremiah 31 has to say. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. He said, listen, congregation, those of you who place your faith and trust in Jesus, stay faithful to Jesus, apply his sacrifice to your life by faith. Do not go back to the old covenant or you will be cut off from the promises of Jesus. God has forgiven you for all of your sins. He does not remember them anymore. And this is what the Holy Spirit was testifying when Jeremiah wrote these words, that he will put a new law on your heart and on your mind. And he will empower you to live a holy and sanctified life, even amid suffering and hardship. Don't go back. Don't go back. And maybe your temptation and many of our temptation is not to go get bulls and, and, and goats and to make sacrifices. But for some of us, we have a real temptation when we sin to punish ourselves for that sin. And God is saying, stop punishing yourself for your sin. Stop 
Look to Jesus. That's what the author is going to say in verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, not by your own good works, not by you going through this intense amount of purging yourself to make up for your sin, but through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance of faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. Rather than punishing ourselves and waddling and woe is me, worship Jesus. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Look to him and his perfect sacrifice, but also look to him through the power of the Holy Spirit to know that you are not a slave of sin. He has set you free. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that freedom. Believe that he has set you free by looking to Jesus, by confessing your sins to one another, by getting the help that you need. There's some here today who simply need to to turn to Jesus and to trust him for salvation. And I want to invite you to do that. Jesus is God. And he, God, became man, put on human flesh, and he lived a perfect life. So that as you place your faith and trust in him and turn from your sins, you can be forgiven and you can become his disciple. You can become a part of his family and all of the promises of God can apply to you. You cannot work your way to God. God is calling you to entrust yourself to him through his son to see that bloody sacrifice on the cross as covering you. Stop looking to other ways to to be righteous and receive the righteousness of Christ today. Receive the righteousness of Christ today. And others of us, the Lord is calling us to walk by the Spirit, (laughs) to see that the Holy Spirit, who in this text superintended through Jeremiah to write these words about the new covenant and also the writer of Hebrews is able through the power of the Spirit to empower you to be obedient to Christ for life. Stop living in your own flesh. Stop feeding your flesh. Rest in the salvation that God has given you and rest in his means of grace. Worship Jesus. Lent is coming up, which is a season where we focus on what Christ has done for us by intentionally slowing down to repent and cry out to God for renewal. It's a 40-day period that starts this Wednesday and that ends um, around um, Easter Sunday. And perhaps, and we're going to talk about this more Wednesday morning for our, our service to kick off our Lent season, God is calling you to simplify your life, maybe to to get off social media, to crucify the pet sins that you have in your life that you are just kind of living with 
to get on your face and to seek his face so that you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit, which empowers you and equips you to walk in the truth of Jesus and in the way of Jesus. Stop putting up with Satan. Stop putting up with the flesh. Look to Jesus. Find joy. Find resurrection. Find hope. Find beauty. Find goodness. Find truth. Find your true self in him. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.